the Bitterfly Podcast. Knowledge is food, bitches. Eat up. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Bitterfly Podcast. This week, we're talking to Gina Truman. She is a freelance travel writer and van lifer. You can find her on Instagram at beyond underscore the underscore bucket list. And Gina's here to talk to us today about traveling and the budget travel guides that she writes for her immersive travelers that follow her. Um, So welcome, Gina. Hi, thanks for having me on. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for coming on. I know that you're like really busy because you're like literally traveling as a lifestyle, right? All the time. Yeah, we're actually leaving on the road on a road trip today. So. (laughs) Oh, shit. Cool. Thanks for doing this. (laughs) yeah so where are you right now and how often do you like take a break from traveling so we're in Sammamish right now like Seattle area um we've been traveling consistently since September of 2019 so it's been like I mean with COVID it's been kind of weird and all but we've been doing the van life thing since last July And so we took a two month break in Seattle just to kind of chill because winter sucks in a van. (laughs) It's a little cold and our van's not four wheel drive. So getting stuck in the snow is not ideal. Um, But other than that, we've been traveling pretty consistently over the past like two years. So who is we? Oh, it's me and my fiance. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. And then did you guys like travel separately before you got together? And then you're like, wait, let's like travel together. So the first trip I took was like right after college. When I turned 21, I went to Thailand for a month. And then after that, I kind of did a couple months like sporadically over the next five years by myself or with other people, ex-boyfriends at the time, but I, uh, and now once I met my fiance, we were working together and not dating. And I suggested that we go on a trip together because I thought we'd travel well together. And ever since then, we've been (laughs) traveling. Awesome. So did you guys get engaged on the road or on a traveling trip since you're always doing that? (laughs) Yeah, we did. Oh my God, that's so cute. Tell us. It was actually in Thailand on this last, so I guess this last big trip, September 2019, we had saved up a bunch of money and we're planning on just doing like six months abroad. Well, we were kind of just going to see how far our money could stretch. And we booked a one-way ticket to Asia. And so I was not anticipating an engagement during that time period. Because I was like, we've been hoarding money and saving and working so much to try and afford this big, long trip. There's no way he's going to, like, take the time to, like, also save for a ring. And, like, how is he going to carry it? (laughs) Backpack over. (laughs) like We knew we were going to be gone for at least six months. We ended up extending it and we're planning on just being on for a year. So was that because you picked up like odd jobs along the way or did your money just happen to tra- or stretch farther because of being in Asia? The money stretched further than we thought. We ended up only spending, our budget is like 50 bucks a day for the two of us. So we had saved a good chunk of money. And then on top of that, I started doing my freelance travel writing thing, but I didn't actually start making any money from that 
until towards the very end of our time abroad. But he proposed to me while we were in Thailand. That's so cute. <laughs> During like the, the full moon, like lantern festival. I don't know if you've seen the Disney movie Tangled. I where actually they have like the, They do the like lantern release thing Aww. based off of that festival. And so we were in the middle of this huge crowd at this like celebration in Thailand. And he completely surprised me. He'd been hiding the ring in his backpack for three and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> that is so cute. Oh my gosh. Wow. So let's go like farther back out real quick. You like to do what you call immersive traveling. Like what does that mean to you? And why is it important? I think a lot of people when they travel, they like stay in a Hilton or, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, we'll see the Mediterranean, but like from a cruise ship. So like, why is it important to you to like really get down on the ground? And, and like, what does that mean? Yeah, so I feel like a lot of people when I say immersive travel get kind of confused. I basically just mean like experiential travel or like cultural travel. So it's going somewhere that you're interested enough in that you want to immerse in the local culture, experience the traditions, eat the local food. Like you don't feel like you need to be in this like bubble, like the Hilton bubble, like you were saying when you go there. Like, it's not really a vacation based on relaxation. It's based on learning something new and, like, really fully experiencing a place for what it is. So I think that's important because it supports local businesses. So basically, if we only give our money to, like, all-inclusive resorts and the Hiltons and cruises and stuff like that, like, they have their place. They're relaxing. And so especially for Americans who only get like two weeks off a year, typically, they like to do a relaxing vacation and that's totally fine. But if you get an opportunity to like go somewhere and really travel like immersively and just like jump into the crazy, often very different from your own lifestyle, life of a local there, you're going to take a lot more away from it. And you're also going to be supporting the local businesses and like like you would support small business at home that's like a big thing right now doing it there is also very important because otherwise all of the small people all the little businesses are gonna disappear and it'll be nothing left except Hilton's and fancy hotels and all the little guest houses won't make it <laughs> it's kind of interesting like Americans will travel somewhere very far away from home and then still stay in an American bubble you know like oh, eat yeah. at American restaurants mm -hmm. do American activities and yeah it's kind of like what's the point you know you're not like getting to exactly. know the locals or seeing like how life is different from your own but you mentioned that it's not very relaxing what do you mean by that too immersive travel it definitely depends on the location you choose. Like you could immerse a travel in Europe and I'm sure it's going to be real relaxing. Like those countries are not as, I don't want to say as like difficult as Asia, but I have a lot of experience traveling in Asia and it's just such a different cultural experience than I get in America that everything is hard. Like catching a bus to go to downtown is really difficult sometimes and often like a very weird travel experience there's like people packed on everywhere with all of their crap and monks on the bus and like there's like little rules you have to learn like in Asia for example you always give up your seat to a monk that's something a lot of people don't know oh wow how did you learn that did you learn that through like doing the wrong thing 
it's just like you slowly pick up on it. Yeah, it's like when I would ride a bus, I would always watch the people in the front. They would get up and you know, let the monks sit down. And it's it's kind of like how on a bus here, you like you should let elderly people or people who are or like pregnant people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's something I didn't know. So mm-hmm. how do you go about planning a trip? Let's focus on foreign travel right now because that's what you did pre-COVID. Yes. How do you, you're like, you like throw a dart at a map. You're like, okay, I'll go there. Or like, what do you, how do you pick a trip? And then how do you plan? Like, there's so much to think about, right? Food, travel, Mm -hmm. where do you stay? Is it safe? Like, how do you, yeah. Where do you start? Yeah. So I guess the first thing is like picking the destination. We've in the past just kind of gone based off of cheap flights we've gone based off of we knew we really wanted to long-term travel in Asia so whatever was cheapest in Asia to get to that would be where we started and then would kind of just connect the dots from there but if you're picking like most people aren't going to be doing like an eight month long trip most people are doing like a week two weeks maybe Mm -hmm. a month so like just finding a place that is really interesting to you that you think you could spend that much time in is that's like our step one is how long are we going to be there and where is where's cheap to get to right now Mm -hmm. that's a big thing do you have like a favorite website that you use for like finding the cheapest flights yeah so it used there used to be like rules where like if you book on a Tuesday or like after 5 p.m things are cheaper and that's like not a thing anymore so, <laughs> I know, but I use a sky scanner is really helpful if you don't, especially if you don't really know where you want to go and you just want to like see where is cheapest. They let you put in everywhere as like your final destination. And so you can kind of just see where the cheapest flights in the world are from where you're at right now. So that's really helpful. Otherwise I use Google flights. Like you can just compare dates really well like different dates and stuff like how which ones are the cheap ones because there's always like one day in a month for whatever reason where it's like 200 bucks cheaper to fly on that day don't know why <laughs> but that's weird I've also heard that if your trip is longer than seven days it'll be cheaper because like people who work like business they're only going to go like seven days max so even if you pick eight you know or nine it's going to be cheaper mm-hmm. than the seven And finding cheap flights really depends on like how flexible you can be. Like if you don't have, the problem is most people have like, I have to leave on this day and come home on this day. And that just like, it doesn't leave a lot of room for finding those random cheap flight deals. Yeah. Like a random red eye. (laughs) Yeah. I know. That's the other thing is like picking the cheapest flight. You've got to watch out if it's like three layovers or something like mm-hmm. fuck that <laughs> yeah I agree I think this is like a fun time to do this podcast because like everybody's getting their vaccines and like wanting to travel <laughs> oh yeah you just got your second vaccine right how is that did. did you get sick oh, I did it was good like day one felt great woke up the next morning and was like eh, I felt better like this isn't like the worst and then by midday that day I was like oh my god I just like one day though totally worth it yeah now we can all travel again hopefully yeah so my next question was the CDC is giving out those cards they're the white Uh cards that say when you got your first and your second dose I've heard that those aren't going to be accepted internationally because the CDC is like just in America so how are you circumventing that like where are you getting your 
your vaccine card. The U.S. essentially is going to have to come up with a, a global equivalent to like a vaccine passport. Yeah. So I already have, um, it's like a yellow book for my like yellow fever vaccine that I had to get before I went to Columbia. Hmm. Uh, and that's like a global recognized vaccine passport. So the U.S. has said they're working on it, but at this point, there's nothing yet. So basically, we're, we're shit out of luck at the moment for getting anywhere international that is requiring a vaccine passport. But I really think it'll be like the next couple months, they'll get it figured out. God, I hope so. That's kind of crazy. You're going to need your regular passport and then your vaccine passport now. Uh-huh. Yep. It's going to be a lot of papers to carry around with me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like more shit to lose. And like, it's pickpocketed, like... Oh my God, side story. My poor dad, we went to the Dominican. He took like two steps, like past secure, past customs to like go get our mm-hmm. luggage. And like somebody took his passport like out of his hand. Like he was just holding it and all of a sudden it was gone and it wasn't anywhere on the floor. And it was like, fuck man, don't get stuck here. So like we had to make, you know, a quick trip to the embassy. It's your worst nightmare. Yeah, literally. So it's just another thing to lose. Like, God, that's stressful. Fun fact, I've never been pickpocketed. I just find that really shocking considering like all the places we've been and for like how long we've traveled. Yeah. Everyone has pickpocketing stories or like stories where things have been like taken from them. I got nothing. I've never been. Apparently I just don't look like someone who carries around important things or money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, do you have like pants with a lot of like zipper pockets or something? Like, do you wear it like on your chest? Have you like taken, was- taken steps to like, not be vulnerable to pickpocketing yeah like I on this last trip I got a fanny pack which looks really like yeah I'm a tourist but (laughs) (laughs) like I wear it around my chest and it's just like so much more convenient because I hate wearing purses in Asia just because like statistically if something's gonna get grabbed it's gonna be your purse but Mm -hmm. also it's like tangled around me all the time if I'm going to eat at a restaurant or like something I always like put it on the floor I don't want to forget shit Mm -hmm. so I did the fanny pack thing and I loved it and I can just throw my phone in there and my money and just like good for the heart center love that (laughs) 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 so we talked about cheap flights how do you find foreign travel still how do you find like a, a safe place to stay are you do you like hostiles like I don't, I don't know why I said it like that. Hostels. Um, <laughs> or do you like Airbnb? Like I've heard like horror stories that Airbnbs can be really sketchy. It depends on the country. Um, we've kind of gravitated away from the hostel thing just because as a like engaged couple, sometimes the like 15 person dorms are a bit much. <laughs> But like every once in a while, we'll still do a hostel, but we just have to be in the mood to like, we want to meet people. We want to like do some drinking usually, that kind of thing. But otherwise we do guest houses. They're like my favorite, depending on, so Asia does that a bunch. I know Europe has some, it's basically just like a family run hotel you're not usually staying in the same like house that the person is living in. It's just like small business hotel. Um, And I feel like those are the safest. You're not really around because Airbnbs, you're just like risking with the host, like how cool they're going to be. 
the other issue with Airbnbs in Asia with my like immersive travel thing is that they're usually not owned by locals in depending on the country in Asia, not all of Asia, but a oh, lot of Asia. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the, are they owned by Americans? Is that what you're saying? Or like, yeah, they're owned by like, yeah, a lot of Americans, a lot of Australians, a lot of Europeans. Like I always use Bali as an example of like foreign investment because like most, even hostels there, like hostels, hotels, and Airbnbs, a lot of it is foreign investors now who have been like, wow, this island's so beautiful and everyone wants to come here. So it's a good investment to like buy real estate and rent it to people. And it is, but then like all of the locals are kind of getting pushed out of their own communities. Mm -hmm. And it's just an impact we don't really think about usually when we're booking Airbnbs. (laughs) But it depends on the country you're in for sure. As far as like safety of places goes, hostels and guest houses and like small hotels, we've never really had problems with. Every once in a while in hostels, you'll get people who like will steal stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's like the one big thing to watch out for. But other than that, guest houses are the way to go. That's kind of cool. So have you like connected with people's families? You know what I mean? Made like lifelong like relationships. Mm -hmm. We did a like couch surfing. There's this website called couchsurfing.com and it like you can basically say so I'm going to be in this city in this country for this amount of time. Could you host me at any point? And people will like respond to your message and be like, "Oh yeah, come stay at my house for a couple of days." And so we tried it out in Sumatra, Indonesia, and we had an amazing host. He like responded right away and was like, "Yeah, you can come stay with my family. I have a spare bedroom." So we showed up after our flight, not really knowing what to expect. And he had a whole bedroom set up for us, just like it was like a guest house or something. That's even better than a couch. I know, exactly. (laughs) That's the thing is it's not always couches. Normally there's a bedroom involved. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah, he like introduced us to his family and he took us out to dinner one night. And it was kind of cool, like getting to know like someone who's lived there forever and them just being able to show us around and like tell us the cool stuff to do and oh that's so nice that reminds me of this one time I was in Venice and my friends like I booked us an Airbnb and we're like okay great and we like get there and we find out it's actually a 20 minute bus ride from the Venice like train station and like we thought it was going to be like you know near the canals or whatever Uh um but this guy his host picked us up On the bus, showed us where to buy tickets, took us back to his place, walked us around. We were kind of disappointed because we thought we were getting, like, an entire place to ourselves, and it was just a room. But this guy, like, he waited up for us because we went back to town and we were, like, drinking Mm -hmm. and stuff. He waited up to make sure we got home safe. He made us breakfast the next day. He was, like, the nicest guy. And then also he lived in this neighborhood that had, like, a community pool, and so he, like, took us there. It was dope. Yeah. People are so friendly. Sometimes the unexpected, like you started out disappointed and you're like, oh, actually this worked out really well. Yeah. Like I'll never forget Giovanni. What a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned that you guys travel on $50 a day. Is that in America or is that everywhere you try to spend 50 or less? Everywhere is like our 50 or less. And most days in Asia, we're spending way less than that, but we account for the days that we are doing like expensive excursions or like like we don't really I don't think we've ever turned down doing something like just because of the cost of it 
we always try and like, if it's worth doing, then we might as well do it. So, Mm -hmm. but we've averaged $50 a day in every country that we've done. The U.S. was definitely the hardest, even with van life, just because gas, man. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So what's your favorite trip that you've taken internationally? Like what was the city, country, like the experience? I've got to say Myanmar. Like Myanmar was on this last trip. We were there this last November. So it was like November, December, 2019. And we were there for a month. We went into the country just being like, we'll maybe do seven days. It was really like open-ended. We were like, we just kind of want to, we're right next door. We might as well check it out. And our visa let us stay for three or 30 days. So we ended up extending and staying the entire visa until we had to leave. And I still, we were talking about this the other night because I would love to go back and there's just like such crazy stuff going on in like the news with them because that's where that like military coup just happened. Mm -hmm. And, but it's like such a beautiful country and the people were so kind and so much to do and like very culturally different than anywhere else we'd ever been so it was an amazing trip what kinds of things did you do there so we did a lot of hiking actually we they have tons of caves like caves are a big thing there I'm a little claustrophobic so that was hard for me Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but we did a ton of hiking to like mountaintop temples in Myanmar they like put Uh, all of their like pagodas and stuff at the highest point around cities so we would do like one of the treks we did was like a three-hour staircase up this like mountaintop and then there was like this beautiful big temple on top and we watched the sunrise and Mm -hmm. it was it's like a very everything was built a long time ago so it's like ancient like crumbling temples and Mm -hmm. so pretty like Did you make any connections there that you still have, like, to this day? So, not that we're, like, in physical contact with, but there was this one guy specifically that we met in, um, it's this town called Sipa in, like, northern Myanmar, and he teaches, he's a Myanmar Burmese guy, but he teaches English to uh, students who live in, like, the hill tribes up there. And we'd met him and he invited us to his like bookshop to like help one day, like hanging out with the kids and just like speaking English. These were like teenagers and they, he wanted like people who speak English fluently to be able to chat with them so they can practice. And we ended up like hanging out with him all evening after they left. And he was like the nicest man. We had no way to contact him though. We like tried before we left because a lot of them will have like WhatsApp or something Mm -hmm. and he doesn't so it was like well I guess if we're ever back in Myanmar one day oh he just like lives in your mind now (laughs) I know (laughs) (sighs) what are some or unforeseen challenges you've experienced um like traveling internationally like due to cultural differences like you mentioned like the bus thing that wasn't really a problem but that was like a difference than from the U.S. Yeah, one of the hardest things traveling in places like this is just like culture shock in general. You get so exhausted fast. You'll be exploring for like two or three hours, just like wandering around town or markets or something. And then all of a sudden you'll be like, oh my God, I need to take a nap. I'm done. I need to just like go back to the guest house. And you just get tired so much faster because it's like a lot of like sensory overload. You're just like, seeing and hearing and experiencing so many new things that you're just like 
done. You got to go back and take a nap. <laughs> That's dope though. But yeah, I imagine like hearing a language that you don't necessarily understand the best would just oh, yeah. be exhausting after a day. It was weird, like coming back to the US because we were like, oh my God, everyone around us is speaking English. Like I can eavesdrop and I understand what people are saying. (laughs) (laughs) There's something like relaxing though about being in a place where you don't know what people are saying. It's kind of like, I can like tune out. Like, uh, yeah, it's just like background noise and there is no like distraction, I guess, of like other people talking. Yeah. It's like, I remember learning to read and being like, oh fuck, there's words everywhere and I can't not Mm -hmm. read them now that I know. literally everywhere what was it like being in another country and I saw on one of your posts that you had to go to the hospital so like what was foreign hospital healthcare like for you we've been to the hospital a few times like me only once and I think him twice once but Thailand and India were our two hospital experiences and they were vastly different um Thailand has like some of the best hospitals in the world. Like we got like herbal tea and cake while we were waiting for (laughs) our appointment at this hospital in Thailand. And then when I was in India, I had very severe food poisoning. This was like right when COVID was happening too. Like COVID, this was March of last year. Yeah. So the U.S. was already shutting down. I got food poisoning and while I was in the hospital for food poisoning, uh, India locked down and shut its borders and wasn't letting anyone in or out of the country. So we got out of the hospital and our guest house was like, oh, you can't stay here anymore because of COVID and no guest houses were accepting any other new people. So I was like, uh, (laughs) okay, well, where do we go? And like, finally, after like talking to the guy for a while, he was like, okay, I guess you can stay here until they reopen the border so you can leave. But that was, I was in India for like a month after that, like stuck in the guest house hotel room. Like couldn't leave because everyone's quarantining. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) They cleared the streets in India, like normal Indian streets. There's like, people everywhere I mean there's over a billion people in the country so there's like street vendors and like cows and people just everywhere and during the as soon as they hit lockdown I don't know where they put everyone but there was no one on the streets like we would look out the window and it was just like silent and empty wow the guest house so we just like they brought food like the police would like bring food to like the guest houses and stuff and like Oh, that's interesting because you can go, you can go shopping for food. So nothing was open. So like like the state was bringing food to people? Yeah, but they weren't bringing food to everyone. I think they were trying, like I felt bad because I was like, they're bringing it to the guest houses because they know there's like foreigners, I guess, that they're trying to like feed and stuff. So it wasn't for everyone. In the neighborhood, I was talking to the owner of the guest house at the time, and he was like, oh, yeah, like, some of the neighbors, like, step up and, like, have been cooking meals and, like, distributing them for, like, the rest of the community and stuff, people who need it, but their lockdown was intense. It was just no leaving wherever you were. Well, that's crazy. So, even if you had a visa, you weren't allowed to leave the country? You had to stay longer? There were no flights. So, like, they shut down their airports completely. And so when they finally reopened again, it was only for emergency repatriation flights. So they were like 
government scheduled flights just to pick up foreigners and take them out like after that there was no holy shit that's how we ended up leaving india but the it all happened like while i was in the hospital for food poisoning so while i'm getting treated for food poisoning everyone else who was in india was like oh they're closing the airports in 24 hours so i better get a flight out and so <laughs> we didn't even know that was happening while we were in the hospital. So I was like, oh, well, missed that boat. I guess we're hanging out here. Oh, my God. <laughs> so when you eventually got out of India, was it like a U.S. flight? Like one of those, like, take everyone home? government flight, yes. And did you have to apply for that? Or did somebody, like, track you down? Because, you know, they had, like, a list somewhere. Yeah, I contacted the embassy and was like, so if, how long are we thinking? Because at that time, everyone was like, okay, COVID will probably be like a month or two, right? right. Like, yeah, we thought it was, was like, no big deal. <laughs> I was like, I could wait out COVID for a month or two in India. Like, it's not the worst. Like, we're getting food. We've got like a nice room here. And then we wanted to like finish exploring and stuff. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, we don't know when the airport's going to open again, but we recommend that as soon as there is a flight, you take it. We were Holy like, shit. So do you think your experience would have been different getting locked in India if you didn't have your fiance? Like, what if you were just like, you know, solo traveling? Like, holy shit. Rough. Like, he definitely helped me a lot during that time, because even though, so the whole hospital experience was fine. But for whatever reason, like whatever I got was rough. Like I've had food poisoning before and not had to go to a hospital, but I was dying. (laughs) It was like 36 hours after like the symptoms had started that I was still like could not stop throwing up. Holy shit. So then he probably got severely dehydrated, right? Severely dehydrated. Who knew what was going on? Because the doctors in India didn't like informing me what was happening did you have a translator or like how did you communicate with them so the doctor spoke English the like male doctor who like worked with me but I was like normally left with these two nurses who spoke like a little bit of English and they kept me in the hospital for three days but I was there like getting fluids and all kinds of meds and stuff and but when I was finally checking out or like whatever you want to call it leaving the hospital I was like what did I have like what did you treat me for and the doctor who like this whole time had been kind of treating me weird and I felt like it was because I was like a woman and asking a lot of questions he like patted me on the shoulder and was like you think too much and then just like peace out <laughs> of the room. I was like all right <laughs> so oh, okay. I got serious food poisoning that don't know anything about that's kind of freaky I don't know if I would like being in the hospital and having them do things and you're like what what's this for why why are you is this gonna help me (laughs) I'm just used to them like I mean in America if you go into a hospital it's like they tell you what they're giving you and and why (laughs) anything but they just kept putting things in my IV and I was just like I mean at this point I feel so shitty that sure go for it I don't care (laughs) whatever you're sticking in there oh my god what was the bill like just out of curiosity yeah the hospital so for three days in the hospital with like so many meds they left they had me take like seven different meds once I left the hospital for a week too still don't know what a lot of them were some of them were antibiotics but I was One of them was definitely like a hardcore, like heavy anti-anxiety pills that I still have most of. 
because I took one and it was like I was asleep in like five minutes yeah like the world was wobbly yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like the total bill was 480 bucks and fortunately we had travel insurance and they paid for all of it oh awesome yeah so totally comped so you definitely recommend travel insurance to people. Yeah. This is the first trip that I've used it on, like confession, because previously when we did like a month, I was just like, mm, not going to hurt myself that bad in a month, like knock on wood. But yeah. <laughs> we got it for this trip. But yeah, we we literally spent about the same amount on travel insurance as we did like in bills. So it ended up kind of being even for us. But this girl I met abroad she had to get her appendix out in Nepal. Oh my God. <laughs> Which is like worst nightmare. Just like that being a problem when you're traveling. Yeah. But it would have cost like $12,000 too, I guess. Holy shit. But she got comped because of her insurance. But she had insurance. And so it was all paid for totally fine. Wow. Uh-huh. That's freaking beautiful. So back to the Thailand, the other hospital story where they <laughs> gave you cake and tea. Um, like, can you compare those two experiences, like India versus Thailand? And why were you at the Thai yeah. hospital? Okay, the Thai hospital was kind of weird because my boyfriend just had a weird mole that I was insisting <laughs> he get looked at. <laughs> okay. Um, so he has, like, skin cancer in his family, and we've been traveling for months, and it was definitely <laughs> changing shape. And I was being weird about it. And I was like, we're in Thailand. There's a dermatology clinic at the main hospital. Let's just go and have her look at it. And <laughs> so we went there and it was way nicer than any American hospital I've ever been in. So immediately I was just like, oh, like, good news. If we ever get sick in Thailand, I'm not going to be weird about going to a hospital. The one in India was definitely a little bit like rougher around the edges. Like I got uh I was dehydrated so at one point I like told them that I was like really thirsty and they went and got me a coconut off the street and brought it to (laughs) me (laughs) so like definitely like different just standards of like what's normal in a hospital yeah and um the room we were in in the Indian one uh, my fiance got bit by something in the middle of the night. Don't know what it was. Some kind of large bug though. Cause his hands swelled up like a mitt. And he was like, I mean, I guess it's good. We're already in the hospital. That's what like, I was just thinking. <laughs> get this looked at. <laughs> Holy fuck. Okay. But the, so the mole was fine. It was just like, whatever. Oh, it's totally fine. Yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> <laughs> He still did shit for that all the time. I mean, better safe than sorry. Yeah, yeah. better safe than sorry. <laughs> and it definitely changed in shape while we were gone. So I was like, hey, <laughs> you never know. <laughs> Have you uh, ever gotten like a tattoo or something in another country? Compared- I want to. You haven't yet? Okay. I haven't yet. So we we have plans to this next time. The problem is with tattoos, you like it's supposed to be like no water and like less sun. Mm-hmm. And that just is, it's really rough. Well, <laughs> it's, yeah. you, you wouldn't want to do that while you're on a exactly. trip and miss out on something. Yeah, I feel so like When that. we're on like a long trip, like we have been and plan to be for the foreseeable future, definitely we could, but it, we had just have to like pick a place carefully. 
Mm-hmm. We thought about it last time we were in, we were in Laos, we thought about it, but we were going to do like a river float a couple days after that. And it was just like, never a convenient time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Didn't want to hold yourself back. That makes sense. So what's your least favorite international trip, city, whatever that you've been on? And why didn't you like it? It's so hard to like pick a like a place as a whole to be like the or worst. how about what was your like, worst experience mm-hmm. yeah yeah don't you don't have to shit on a city yeah because um, I think there's bad and good everywhere right but exactly. what was like the worst experience you've ever had that maybe you could help other people avoid you know yeah so like I mean two things like come to mind right away like I have plans to go back to Cambodia I've been there twice already, just like kind of by accident. Like the first time I went on like a trip there. And then the second time on this trip, this last like long-term trip, we had to like go through there. And I feel like I've been there twice now and I still haven't got to like see a lot of the good parts. I end up in all of the shitty cities in Cambodia and like the people we've met while we've been there, we've had a couple that were really amazing. And then a lot of them were very just like kind of rude and cold and it's like a different culture in comparison to the rest of Asia but I know so many backpackers who love Cambodia and talk it up and I just like haven't been able to connect with it as a country like it just has been rough on me gotten food poisoning there twice my fiance got food poisoning there once I just feel like every time we go to Cambodia, we do it wrong. I don't know how, but we're doing it wrong. <laughs> what, do you know what you got food poisoning from that no, time? No, the thing is we, so the last time we were there and my fiance got food poisoning, uh, all four of us, it was me, my fiance, and this couple that we traveled with, we met and traveled with them for like three months. Um, we all ate the same thing. We shared dinner. And only my fiance woke up in the middle of the night with like deathly ill food poisoning right before we were supposed to go to like the most beautiful, iconic, like sunrise temple experience that we'd already like paid for and stuff. Oh, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe one day we'll get to see like Angkor Wat is what it's called, like at sunrise. Twice now we've missed it, so... Oh, well, yeah, hopefully you have a better third time in Cambodia. (laughs) And the other rough thing is like, so India is one of my favorite travel places. But there's definitely like, I don't want it's not part of like the culture, but like sexual harassment there if you're a woman is definitely more rampant than in other places. I experienced it in like, India and Sri Lanka a couple times and it's just like why do you gotta ruin a good time people yeah yeah was it like a big experience is it more like a subtle like in passing like someone just grabbed your ass I was gonna say it's normally pretty like subtle like someone grabs your ass in like a market or something and the weird thing is it's always like these really like pious like religious people like the last guy who grabbed my ass and like said something to me that I could tell was like derogatory he was like a 70 year old man in like the like full like it's like a, a, a pious headdress though yeah like, he had like the headdress and I was just like why do you think that you're allowed to do that <laughs> like 
There's definitely some of those experiences. Most of them are, I mean, I don't want to call them harmless. Like no one likes to be groped by old men in markets. Especially in a foreign country where you're like, I don't know what you said, but you're giving me, you're not passing the vibe check right now. (laughs) And if I was a solo female traveler, like that's something I think about where fortunately I've always had like in India when that happened like Evan was just like a street away or like it wasn't like now I have to worry about like getting back to my guest house like safely like is this guy gonna like follow me and continue to harass me like I always just had like a little bit of a barrier versus if I was like by myself I wouldn't have that like safety net yeah which shouldn't discourage solo people from traveling to India because I loved that country but it is like something to think about just like safety wise yeah like how well you think you'd be able to like handle a situation like that yeah right because you can't just like travel on a plane with your taser can you (laughs) not at all that's the problem there's like nothing you can like pepper spray or tasers and like most countries like you're not going to be able to get that very easily so it's all about just like kind of learning what you can do to make yourself feel safe and yeah so switching gears COVID happened you guys got stuck in India then you go home now you're doing the van life and I'm really excited to talk to you about this because I feel like you know you and I spoke before it's like so glamorous like I feel like the quintessential millennial life is to like quit your nine to five and you get a van and you're just a digital nomad and (laughs) it's like all over um, and Instagram pictures and just like being out on the open road and like laying in the bed by a beautiful like scenic backdrop right all these videos of people being like why would you have a job and pay a thousand dollars in rent when you can wake (laughs) up to this you know but it's like so glamorized and I'm just wondering like is it all cute or like what's it actually like Gina you need to tell us (laughs) it's rarely cute that's the secret to it it's it's rarely (laughs) like you oh god I just like getting into it I knew it wasn't gonna be like as glamorous as it is on Instagram but I definitely thought it was going to be easier mm-hmm. like we went the route of buying a used van which has come with all of its problems of having an old used van that we converted but most people can't afford to get like the brand new sprinter vans that no. are $30. so yeah. I'm sure it could be really glamorous if you buy like a 10 foot tall van for $80,000 that's completely built out perfectly inside but the reality is like for most people it's not going to be like a house on wheels like there's going to be some like limitations to it right oh my gosh I saw on TikTok this guy converted a school bus and it's like oh my God. literally a tiny home on wheels it actually oh, might yeah. be bigger than a tiny home mm-hmm. but yeah not everyone can do that so what kinds of problems have come with you buying a used van well, we've pretty much had to replace everything. <laughs> um, we like had a mechanic check out our van when we, before we bought it from a private seller, because that was just the cheapest way for us to find like a van. And we were planning on gutting it and completely converting it ourselves anyways. So we didn't really care what the inside looked like, just the engine. Mm-hmm. But since we've bought it, which has been about a year, we had to replace the transmission, which was very expensive we had to do the brakes the fuel pump 
the speedometer doesn't work. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah, we have to use like an app to like track our speed everywhere we go. It's just been like so far nothing has broken down knock on wood again in really bad places it's normally just been like when we get to a city or like a town something starts acting weird and we take it in and we had to do the alternator too there's just been like a lot of little stuff that like it adds up and at this point it's like we almost should have just splurged and gotten like a more expensive newish van than our old van but Yeah, like it's definitely more expensive than you think it's going to be. A lot of people think like we still have to have insurance. So that is like a monthly expense. Gas is super expensive. Um, Groceries, you're really tempted to like eat out at all these new places that you're traveling. So Mm -hmm. we've definitely spent more in restaurants than we thought we were going to. Um, Beer, the post hike beers are essential. (laughs) You got to do it. (laughs) it's just like there's definitely it's cheaper than paying rent yes but it's definitely not as comfortable as having an apartment like for example we didn't have a bathroom yeah that's my next question like how do you shower where do you go to the bathroom so we have we have a bag shower do you guys like cut your own hair like how deep are you into this man oh I'm like deep into I haven't had a haircut in ages I was just talking today though I might cave and get one okay it's it's been two years you should teach Evan how to cut your hair you know I just feel like that would be beneficial I know exactly and I don't really care it's always in a bun anyways I don't really care what it looks like yeah. yeah we do the bag shower hang it off the side which works really great in the summertime when we were in Maine in November though definitely did not work well and you end up going like I don't know five to seven days without a shower often which is pretty rough yeah I mean if you if you really love each other I guess you're like you're not bothered by each other's body odor Uh right (laughs) there's definitely things about like your relationship you don't really think about before you move into like a 30 foot 30 square foot (laughs) box with each other (laughs) like shaving from a bag shower is just rough in general man so did you just like decide to stop shaving your legs pretty much yeah I made it like I tried for like I do the armpits just because it bothers me Mm -hmm. that's like I I was gonna say I'm on the I was gonna say I like the tank top sometimes it bothers me (laughs) like it's pokey yeah (laughs) but my legs yeah they go a long time (laughs) for sure (laughs) And then the like toilet situation. Yeah, where do you go to the bathroom? Like that's stressful. When I I started this, I was like, oh, there's grocery stores and gas stations everywhere. It's not going to be a problem. And it wasn't until we hit like New York. And in New York, like we went to New York City for a couple days. We parked underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. It was great. Um, But the gas stations in New York they're just like I'm assuming it's because there's more like homeless people that they don't want to use the bathrooms Mm -hmm. but there's no bathrooms anywhere public bathrooms and with COVID there was definitely no public bathrooms right yeah what did you do situation well there was an emergency situation where I had to pee in our fruit bowl um (laughs) (laughs) because we've been walking 
walking around forever, like getting like to go back towards the van. And I was like, fuck, I have to pee so bad. And I'm not about to just pee in this alleyway over here. Like, <laughs> like we're going to have to make do until we figure out what our plan is. Have you ever thought about getting a diva cup? You know that like, or no, what's it called? It's not a diva cup, but it's she- like a silicone. Yeah. So you can pee while standing up uh-huh. as a woman. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's the move for sure. <laughs> we definitely, that's like, so on this trip that we're leaving on today, we're doing like the Southwest. So it's going to be a lot more like roughing it, camping, like out in nature. Mm-hmm. Bathroom's not really a problem then. Cities yeah. though, it's tough. And I'm like, man, if I was homeless, like living in a van, I feel homeless a little bit sometimes. But yeah. like if I'm living on the street, where do you expect people to pee? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it makes me wonder. You're like getting kind of like a taste of being like a homeless mm-hmm. nomad in a way. Do you yeah. feel like you miss having like a home base, you know? Mm-hmm. Like that like warm, comfy uh-huh. bed, like the privacy mm-hmm. of like a room, you know? One thing I really miss is just having my own, like a whole house where I can just like decorate it and have plants. That's one thing. We can't have plants with this nomadic lifestyle. We have one van plant and it struggles. <laughs> it's like, it just like knocked over when you turn and stuff. It's just like moving around a lot. And also I think it's just like, we're constantly going from super hot to super cold, like at night. And it's just like, it doesn't grow. It just barely stays the same. Like, <laughs> one leaf left I'm like God. Yeah. <laughs> but I just miss having a space that's like our own because the van is but there's it's you're limited what you can do once you've like already built it it's not like you're changing a whole lot anymore so yeah. so what do you have in there a bed I assume do you have a sink do you have mm-hmm. a toilet a do you have a fridge we have so we've got a big comfy bed the bed is actually really like it's just memory foam like a it's like six inch memory foam pad that's super comfortable and then we have like uh, a kitchenette with a sink with like a foot pump for the water tank Mm -hmm. and then a propane grill and no toilet bag shower it's just super simple it's like very log cabiny inside you've probably seen a photo but it's like the like cedar plank walls and then like wood floors and then we did like a mountain design on our like kitchenette that we built all ourselves and so it's very like log cabiny and rustic and very simple inside the one thing oh sorry go on no I was just gonna say the one thing I wish that when we got this van that we'd done is that I could stand fully upright in it because is it too short it's like an inch too short before we converted it, we were like, it's close. So we weren't sure if when we, cause we gutted everything on the inside. So we thought that once we took everything out, because there's a high top that maybe I'd be able to stand. And it was just, just a little bit. So too you're short. just kind of like hunched over when uh-huh. you're like washing we've dishes. Got a and lot stuff. Of like, we've got a couple little chairs that are like the right size, like the stool thing that folds up. That's like the right size. So I can sit like at the dish, like at the sink to do dishes and stuff. Hmm. So you mentioned not having plants. You also can't really get a pet right now in this situation. No. So for us, I mean, a lot of people who live in vans, we met a bunch of people on the road who do have pets. And if, you just have to be so diligent about it because 
you need ventilation if it's going to be like warm or like AC or something. It's just really hard. Mm -hmm. And for us spending a lot of time in like state parks and national parks where animals like aren't allowed on a lot of the trails, it would just really limit what we want to do. And we do have plans to go international again as soon as things start drifting that way. So Makes sense. Going to be a while before you get a pet. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Where do you guys park overnight? Like, I know Walmarts, like, let people camp in their parking lot all over America. Where, like, I feel like you'd get a ticket, right, if you parked in certain places? So most places you're allowed to stay for 72 hours. So that's kind of the, we try and move mostly every day just because out of, like, courtesy of people excuse me, courtesy (laughs) of people. Um, It's just better to not, especially if we're parked in a residential neighborhood, which we will sometimes. Our van on the outside looks kind of sketchy because we blacked out two of the windows and the paint's kind of peeling and like people definitely get nervous if we're like in the neighborhood for too long. So we most often park in grocery stores um or just like free street parking we use a couple apps like i overlander is one or spot angels they're like free apps that like help you find free overnight parking mm-hmm. um other than that we're like becoming stealth camping professionals <laughs> like in national parks we'll just like find really obscure places to like tuck ourselves away and like even though you're not supposed to sleep overnight, not in a campsite in a national park, mm-hmm. most of the time it goes over pretty well. Nice. We have gotten the middle of the night knock a couple times. Ooh. From normally, what police of them will do is like they'll come up and like knock on the door in like it's always like midnight or one, and you like pop out and they're like, "Oh, sorry, you have to move." For residential streets, I saw this TikTok of this guy who also lives in the van and he said it looks kind of sketch. He has this like giant magnet that has like a business on it. So he'll stick that on the side of his van so that people think it's just like a a work vehicle and that way it can be parked in a parking lot overnight. And then he also puts like a clipboard and a hard hat like in the front dash of the van. I've seen the hard hat trick before. That's like a pretty common thing, especially if you have like a white like one of those like Ford transits or something, just like the white box fan, they'll never know the difference. It looks exactly like a work truck. <laughs> Pretty smart. Um, how is the sex life in the van? Like do you, like when you're parked somewhere public, it's just like, you know, how do you do, how do you go about that? Or is it whatever? I mean, sex life in the van is hard. It's, I mean, add in the, the six days of no showering and, and it's like, like too short. Like and you it's can't. too short. So you're really limited position wise. But like, <laughs> also above our bed is like a ledge, like a shelf too. So it's like even lower, but I mean, we make it work, <laughs> but I will say that like, you got to do it early in the week, your shower day. And then for the next three days, all is good. But after that, it's like, okay, shower day is coming. Don't worry. (laughs) So my next question is a lot of people are trying to live like zero waste lifestyles, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. using reusable stuff. I think it requires a lot of like eating at home, you know, like not having takeout waste and single use stuff. 
Do you think that like living in a van is like in opposition to like a zero waste lifestyle? Cause there's a lot of times where you have to throw things yeah. away, you know, where you, you only want to use it one time. Do you think it's like a give and take? Like you, if you're going to live in a van, you probably can't live a zero waste lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I've actually done like a lot of thinking about how like environmentally friendly van life is. And I think it can be, but the way most people do van life where we're using it to travel and see the US, it's really hard. You have to make a huge effort to, cause you're limited space in the van. So it's not like you can do like the bulk food thing where you're like buying and putting it in like bulk food containers. Like you have such small spaces that we end up with a lot more plastic waste than we would normally have. You're also driving a ton. Like on our last road trip, we drove 18,000 miles, which holy shit, like so much gas. (laughs) It's like a huge environmental impact. And if you're not like dumping your gray water um, properly in like specified dump zones, which sometimes it's really, really hard to find them. And I know people skip out on that if it's like, do you mean like the dirty water from the sink and yeah. your pump so, sink? Mm-hmm. Most vans, like they'll have either a collection tub underneath the van or like ours, since we didn't build anything like externally, it's like in our cabinet, it's like a five gallon bucket and it just collects all the water. So we're really careful to use like eco-friendly soaps and stuff just in case like, I don't know, we need, cause it's only five gallons. So like you need to be really careful. That's another downside to van life your water usage you have to like keep track of that otherwise mm-hmm. you accidentally flood your gray water bin and you have dirty water everywhere <laughs> Ooh, I actually have never really thought about that I thought about the toilet thing like compostable toilets seem yeah. super gross like where are you supposed Absolutely. to dump those but where are the places that you would dump the gray water like normally there- like RV sites okay yeah they'll have like specified or like you can find campsites where they'll have like you know, whenever you're like filling up water somewhere and be like, no dumping, there's always like a dump site somewhere in that vicinity where you can like, for oh. us, since we're using like eco-friendly products, like it probably wouldn't be the worst to like dump it somewhere where it's like rocky out in the middle of nowhere, but it's just like definitely frowned upon that <laughs> mm. you should just be using dump sites for that kind of thing. And yeah. it's another thing to think about where like, you're going to have to do that probably, we do it every three days normally. So yeah, that's something nobody's talking about on this glamorous Instagram van life is like, what about your trash? What about your litter? Like, do you think that because of living van life, have you seen, you know, you're on the ground in the US, are you Uh seeing like more litter? Are you like getting in touch with like the bare bones? Like, vulnerability of being a human and kind of homeless like do you think you have a newfound compassion for homelessness yeah so we like living in a van you meet a lot of like different people like from all different kinds of like van lifers so we've met people who are like living in sprinters and doing like the instagram thing and then we also meet people who have been living in a van for like 10 years just because they've like had like money at the time the van was like what they decided to do and like have kept that going and like specifically 
in New Orleans, we like met like a great community of van life people who aren't like traditional like Instagram van lifers. They're just like money made it. So like living in their vehicle was the best like option they had. And I realized at one point, like while I was hanging out with them outside in front of all of our vans and stuff that a group was like walking toward us and then like cross the street to like walk like on the other side specifically away from us. And it just made me think like, they think that we're all like sketchy, like homeless, like people who are like squatting on this road, you know, just like, cause a lot of them, like their vans, like one of them like didn't move. So it was like tires were flat. Like, it's just like, kind of like I'm trying to think of where to describe. Like it sounds like there's so like cool. there's a huge like uh, dichotomy between like the people that chose the van life because they think it's cute and then people who like out of necessity had nothing else. Exactly. That's like yes. their only option. And it kind of opened my mind to that like they started that also because it was the cheapest way to like see the country at the time. So like and it still is, but they wanted to travel and we like have so much in common like chatting with them and I've never like seen like the line of like broken down vans in Seattle, for example, and been like, oh, I bet I would have things to chat with them about, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. you don't think about it on that, like those terms. Yeah. Interesting. So if people wanted to read your travel budget guides, like where can they find you? Do you have a website or are you just I on do. Instagram? So I, beyond the bucket list.co is my website. And that's kind of like all like immersive budget travel guides. It's got some van life stuff as of lately. And I'm going to keep updating that. But yeah, I do the travel blogging thing and I do freelance travel writing for like Fodor's travels and Lonely Planet and Matador Network and stuff. And that's kind of how we make money on the road right now. That's so awesome. Well, is there anything else that you want to share about like international travel or van life? Like something, a warning, something to get people excited about? Like your life's super interesting. You're doing the dream. (laughs) You're doing what everybody like wants to do. (laughs) I just think that like, if you want to travel, you have to make it a priority. Like that's kind of what changed the game for me is I had always like, Once I did that first trip, I knew I wanted to keep traveling. So I just every year plan went out of my way to like plan one trip. And like, even if that's all you can do, just like take the leap and do it, like make it a priority. It doesn't have to be expensive to be an awesome experience. Like if you have X amount of dollars, like just set a budget and make it happen. Because I feel like too many people get like all worked up and like, what if they don't have enough money? And like our whole trip cost us 50 bucks a day. So pick somewhere that's like really interesting to you and just go by that. And it will be like an amazing experience. I want more people to travel to cool places that interest them. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Get like a culture shock experience, something new. We're going to be able to do that soon because of the COVID vaccine. What's up? (laughs) Well, thanks Thanks so much for being on, Gina. This was awesome. Everyone, if you want to find her on Instagram, it's at beyond underscore the underscore bucket list. And also the, the, wait, website, beyondthebucketlist.co.
yes. for her website. Thank you so much for being on Bitterfly. And hopefully we've given people some really great ideas for trips. So yeah, awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for having me. Of course. Good luck on your trip today. And, Thanks. Uh, the road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best of luck, homie. Okay.